0: kind of want to get down to it this morning i want to continue our series uh in the book of philippians got an important word this morning so i would really ask that you would just uh kind of take this thing really seriously uh and in fact i've entitled the message this morning what are you serious about think about that what are you genuinely really serious about father i just uh Thank you for the worship, and I thank you for Gideon's being here. I thank you most of all, though, Holy Spirit, that you're present. And I just ask, and and, and just that you would even move in a greater way now. As we look at your word, I ask that you would give us soft hearts, just really soft hearts, to receive what you have. Two powerful verses this morning. Two life-changing verses this morning we're going to look at. And I pray that you would even now begin to build a spirit of expectancy within us, how our lives could be changed and transformed by these two simple verses. I ask, as always, that you would fill me from the soles of my feet to the crown of my head. And now I'm just asking, Jesus, that you would be exalted and glorified. You would draw people. You would draw people. Holy Spirit, draw people to Jesus, even now that they could begin to see him through the eyes of faith and begin to be set free, truly free indeed. And I'm asking for this in your precious name. Amen. Your life, a praise song. Is my life a praise song to the Lord? The Apostle Paul writes this morning in Philippians chapter 2 and verses 12 and 13. Skip, can you put those powerful verses up? Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but not much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Many years ago, there was a hit television show called Extreme Makeover, Home Edition. How many remember that show? Uh, In one particular episode, it featured a woman by the name of Alice Harris, and Skip, you can put her picture up. Alice lived with her family in South Central Los Angeles, and one day in a Uh, just this massive flood came and virtually destroyed her home. In fact, her family was forced to live in one bedroom of the entire house. And to add insult to injury, Alice had been collecting Christmas gifts for the poor children, and those were also destroyed in the flood. And Harris said this, "'I figured no one was going to come to Watts to help us. "'No one ever had done that.'" But somehow, Extreme Makeover Home Edition found out about Alice Harris, her family's dilemma, her family's problem, and they came. And of course, it came with its bullhorn-toting host, Ty Pennington. And Ty Pennington actually sent the family on a week's vacation uh, to Carlsbad, California, And once the family had left, over a hundred workers and volunteers descended upon that home. And they tore that house down to its very foundation, and they built a newer one and a bigger one than they had before. They also replaced those Christmas presents that had been ruined in the flood. And they also, on top of all of this, they donated appliances, mattresses, and landscaping to the flood-stricken victims around Alice Harris. And on top of that, they built a basketball court for the neighborhood kids. Now, that's what you would call an extreme makeover. Now, all of these extreme makeovers have something in common. An outsider comes in and does a one-two-three-step program. First, the outsider sees the possibilities that you and I cannot see. Secondly, they do what you and I could not do. And thirdly, an outsider pays for what you and I could not pay for. And my point here this morning is, in the verses that we just looked at, verses 12 and 13, God is saying, now listen to this, the God of the universe is in the extreme makeover business. God is in the extreme makeover business. And you know what the interesting thing is? He has a similar three-step program. First of all, God sees the possibilities in you and me that you and I do not see. Secondly, God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And we're going to kind of camp on that in a moment for the rest of the morning. And you know what the greatest part is? God pays the fare. Thirdly, God pays the price. God pays pays the fare. Now, I want you to understand, though, that God's extreme makeover is significantly different in two areas than the reality shows extreme makeover. First of all, the reality shows extreme makeover is an external job. God's extreme makeover is an internal job. God seeks to make each and every one of us sitting here, right here, he wants us to be a new creation. And he does it from the Inside out. He does it from the inside out. The second significant difference between God's extreme makeover and the reality show's extreme makeover is that in the reality show, you're just kind of passive. If it's being done to your house, you're just passive. You watch them do it. But in God's extreme makeover, We're actually not a passive participant. We actually have a part and we play a significant part in our extreme makeover. And, uh, you know, in other words, you don't just go into the, you know, living room maybe of your home and you just stand there and you say, okay, God, zap me, baby. Make me into something wonderful and brand new. It just doesn't work. I mean, wouldn't it be great if it worked like that? But it doesn't work. Like that. In fact, I want you to see again what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. Look what he says very carefully. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, you know, this verse kind of confuses people because some people will say, well, you know, I, I, I thought we were saved by grace. And not by works. This verse seems to be saying, now that I am saved by works and not by grace. So which is it? Is it grace or is it works? And, you know, people become confused by that. And what most people either don't know or they do not understand, is interestingly enough, guess what? Salvation is a three-step process. Salvation is a three-step process. The first step in salvation is, I have been saved. That is called justification. Nice, fancy, theological term. I have been saved. Well, you say, well, what does that exactly mean? Actually, justification is quite powerful. You know, I think one of the most moving scenes in the entire Bible is the crucifixion scene. Jesus is crucified between two thieves. Skip, can you put that picture up? And it says that during the crucifixion, one of the thieves... Began to hurl insults at Jesus. Can you believe that? They began mocking Jesus. They began mocking God. The other, though, thief, you know, he kind of freaks out. He he just kind of comes unglued. That's in the Greek, of course. And he says, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? We're murderers. We're thieves. We're robbers. We deserve what we're getting. But this man, this man, Jesus... He's innocent. And then we're told the thief turns to Jesus and he says, remember me, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom. Please notice, Jesus doesn't make an altar call here. There's no soft music playing in the back. Just as I am, without one plea, oh, Lamb of God, I come, I come. There's none of that. Absolutely none of that. Instead, what you have is simple repentance on the part of the thief. I'm a sinner. I'm a murderer. I'm a thief. I mean, he doesn't even try to whitewash himself. He just lays it out there, and somehow, some way, he recognizes, he says, "Jesus, I see now who you are. I see somehow some way, you're dying for me. You're taking my place on the cross." Just remember me when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus blows, I mean, no, he he blows away the religious stuff shirts. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're watching this. And Jesus turns and he says to that thief on the cross, that murderer, the guy who's never done anything right at all, and he says, today, you will be with me in paradise that, my friend, is the power of justification. That is the absolute power of justification. It, it, it's just absolutely powerful if you just genuinely grab hold of it. You see, when I or when you honestly look at Jesus Christ and you repent of your sins, I mean, you really repent of your sins, you don't try to whitewash it, you just repent and you say, Lord, I'm a sinner. And I see what you're doing up there. I see that you're taking my place. Do you realize that from 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock, it became totally dark? God was laying your sins, the sins of the whole world, upon him. And Jesus was experiencing hell. And you see, when you turn to Jesus and say, I see what you're doing for me, not only is the penalty of your sin paid for, now get this, Jesus' perfection, his perfection is imputed to you. That's important. So guess what? If Frank Ray were to die right now, boom, just drop, wouldn't it be great? I've always thought there'd be no better place to die than right here. No, seriously, don't don't you think that would be incredible? Wow, you know? It's hot enough in Hindi, I'm hoping it, it could happen there. But imagine if I were to die right here, right now. Do you know I would enter heaven totally forgiven and totally perfect? Absolutely perfect. And that's why my name is St. Frank. Skip, can you put the picture up? There we go. You just let my wife know. You just let her know. I am St. Frank. And if you are a believer, no, if you're a true, born again believer, you are a saint. You are a saint. That is the power of justification. Now let's just suppose for a moment, let's just suppose for a moment that the thief on the cross, somehow he miraculously survives the cross. What would have happened to him? Would he have continued to be a thief? Would he have continued to be a murderer? Would he continue to be the same kind of reprobate that he was? The answer is no. Again, I refer to you to verse 12. What does it say? Look again at verse 12. It says, especially the end, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He would have worked out his justification. The thief on the cross, if he had gotten down, somehow survived, he would have worked out his justification. You see, justification means that I've been declared perfect. And it's it's awesome. So the father has declared Frank Ray perfect. But it's one thing to be declared perfect, justified. It's a whole nother thing thing to become perfect, to become like Jesus. That is sanctification. That is the second aspect of salvation, sanctification. You see, Frank Ray has been saved, and Frank Ray now is being saved. Frank Ray is being sanctified. And that is powerful, and those two are inextricably linked. What that means is you do not have justification without sanctification, unless, of course, you have a deathbed confession. That's what the thief essentially had here. He essentially had a deathbed conversion. He gets declared justified, boom, he dies. But most of us, by the way, are going to continue on living. And if you continue on living, then you are going to begin, and God's going to begin working in your life to look like Jesus. You know, so often, believers will come up to me, and they will ask me, what is God's will for my life? (laughs) Pick up the Bible. You'll find the answer there. What is God's will for my life? We're getting a lot of answers. You'll be surprised. You know, the question itself is kind of interesting because the idea behind the question is, you know, God, he must have something great and fabulous and something really big for me to accomplish. And you know what? That messes you up. No, no. It really messes you up. One of the key verses of the entire New Testament is Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. Skip, can you put that up? For God foreknew, and I, I wish we could get into that For those whom God foreknew, uh-oh, big theological word, $64,000 predestined to be conformed. What? To the likeness of his son. To the likeness of his son. Predestination, by the way, has to be conforming. God's whole Goal for you and me is to look like Jesus. American Christianity is tragically in error. We have the idea that God is interested in me accomplishing or achieving something. Do you realize how ridiculous that is? Just think about the angels. I mean, if God really wanted something done, I would just use the angels. They are ministering beings, by the way. Angels would be a lot better at evangelism. You know, we, we, we look at a guy like Richard Dawkins, big atheist, right? You want to convert him? It'd be easy. All God has to do is send an angel. Suddenly the angel appears before Richard. Boom! You know, big lights, you know, big action, you know, six winged type. Don't you think it'd blow him over? See, he could do much better just using the angels. So he doesn't have you and I necessarily to accomplish something. Do you know what brings, I want you to think about this. Do you know what brings Papa the greatest glory? You've got to catch hold of it. You're going to be free. Do you know what brings him the greatest glory? Is when we look like Jesus. No, when we look like his son. Everybody talks about miracles. I want to tell you the miracles are happening. The greatest miracle is when you take a reprobate like me. I mean, I was a narcissist. I was, a, I, I, I was arrogant. I was selfish. And other than that, I was a great guy to marry. And God, no, no. God has changed me to the point where I am now moving in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. I want you to know. I want you to grab hold of this. That what brings God, what his will is for your life right now, for me, is to look like Jesus, period. Everything else is a detail. It is a detail. Detail. He is absolutely concerned that we look like Jesus. Don't miss again what it says in in, in Philippians. Do it again. Verse 12. Listen to this. For those God foreknew, excuse me, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Now watch this. Continue to work out your salvation with what? With what? Fear. Fear and trembling. You know what that means? He's serious. No, no. God is serious as a heart attack. It should be your top priority. No, it's my top. And, and by the way, I had to go through seven years of cemetery. Didn't figure it out. No. Sad. I didn't get it. No, this is so powerful. I didn't get that all that God ever wanted from me was to take it seriously to look like his son. Shame on me. No, no. I I I mean I was like spitting on Jesus. Not realizing that the greatest way I could glorify him was by looking like him. You know what? You know, life is so unfair. How many here think you could be the president of the United States? How many here think you could be Tom Brady in the Super Bowl? How many here think you could be a CEO? Everything the world values. Is garbage. No, no. Garbage. In comparison to knowing Jesus and looking like. hey, guess what? No, no. Now think about this. This is powerful. This is how fair God. There's every single one of us in here. Every single one of us in here. Everyone out in the world. I'm going to India where they live on $2 a day. You know what? They can achieve this though. Isn't that great? Everyone if you choose to receive him, can look like Jesus. You can bring God the greatest glory. There's nothing stopping you other than yourself. I want you to think about it. There's nothing stopping you other than yourself. And let me tell you, we need to move. But there's so much at stake here. Now, now I'm going to tell you why it's so important that you and I look like Jesus. What is the number one reason, quick, number one reason why people do not consider Jesus and don't want to come to church? You, me. Hypocrisy. They look at us and they say, are you kidding me? Is that the best Jesus can do? No, no, se- seriously. They come in, are you kidding me? You guys are fighting. There's rancor. You're kidding me. And you know what? As I was thinking about that, man, that just devastates me when I hear that. And then we're told in Luke 17, verses 1 through 3, look, look what Jesus says. Jesus said his disciples Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. But woe, woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourself. Watch yourself, Frank. You think this is hyperbole? No, Do, do you think Jesus is kidding? No way. Judgment Day, Skip put up the picture. I can't imagine standing before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who, gave, who poured out his blood on the cross for me and then I see a bunch of people and all the people that I see under the side are those that had rejected Jesus because they had seen my behavior. They had seen my speech. I, no, it, it tears me up to think that that could happen. Let me tell you something. You wear heaven's uniform, you wear the greatest uniform in the universe. Forget the Patriots and forget the Falcons. Cheap stuff. If you wear heaven's uniform, you wear the greatest uniform. And woe unto us. You know, the moment you walk out of here, your family's watching you, your neighbors are watching you, your coworkers are watching you. Woe that I would cause anyone to stumble. You know, that's why we take discipleship here seriously. Now you understand why I'm big on discipleship and we're big on discipleship. We're not interested in numbers. We're interested, we're in the people business. We're in the development business. We're interested in seeing each person sitting here looking like Jesus. That's what we're interested in. Anyone that knows us knows we don't chase numbers. We're interested in you. And it's so absolutely essential that you're involved in this. You know what discipleship is? It teaches you how to become like Jesus. It teaches you how to read the Bible, how to pray, how to die to yourself so that the Holy Spirit can fill you, take control of you, so that you can move in the fruit of the Spirit. It teaches you about your spiritual gift, how you can build the body. It teaches you how you can be an effective at evangelizing and reaching people for Jesus Christ. So if you're not in discipleship, please either see me or Tom or Jeff. Well, we, 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 we've got to move it on. Now, now, now that we're all sufficiently convicted, I want to end on a high note, okay? So verse 13 is wonderful. Verse 13 is great. This is worth the price of admission. For, now, I love this. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. You know, I have a confession to make. I am a quitter at heart. And when the going gets tough, the flesh wants to quit. If you're honest, you got the same problem. But this is beautiful because we you know what this. Is? This is a great promise. You know what this is—a promise up to the believer. God's going to make you win. No, no, God's going to make you win. I told this illustration, gave you this story a long, long time ago. It does bear repeating right now as, as, as we run down to the conclusion. Ben Hur. Ben Hur is probably my favorite movie. Now, not the new one. Forget that one. Okay. We're talking about the old one starring Charlton Heston. And it's a great movie because it's a movie about Jesus Christ and the power of redemption. The power of his blood to change. And it's just a fabulous movie. Now, Ben-Hur is known for perhaps one of the most famous scenes in all of movie lore. And that is the chariot scene. Skip, can you put up that picture? And and again, it it is a masterpiece. And by the way, to drive a chariot is not an easy thing. And... Heston did not have a stunt double. There were no you know, computer, you know, they didn't have the technology so you can do the computer imaging and make up those images and whatnot. This guy had to learn to drive a chariot. He spent hour after hour after hour trying to learn how to drive that chariot. And One day he just became so exasperated, he actually went to the director, Cecil B. DeMille, who's legendary, and he said, Mr. DeMille, I just want you to know I, 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 you know, I don't think I can win that chariot race. And DeMille looked at Heston and he said, Charlton, all I'm asking you to do is stay in the race. I will make sure you win. <laughs> I will make sure you win. That is what God is saying to the believer. I will make sure you win. When? He does one better than Cecil B. DeMille. Put it up again. One step better. Now watch what he, God says to you. Listen to what he does. He says, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So the challenge is very simple. What are you focused on this morning? No, no, I'm asking you, what do you really... I want to be a CEO. I want to be a manager. I want to own my own company. Awesome. It's going to impress Jesus at the end, isn't it? So now I'm going to ask you, what are you really focused on? I was a dumbo. Don't, don't be like me. I wish I could be brutally honest with you and tell you why I'm where I am and in, in, in whatnot. Because I was a dumbo. I didn't get it. That the whole goal of life is to look like Jesus. The whole goal of life is to look like Jesus. And you know, if you're born again, and that's a starting point. And by the way, if you miss a message three weeks ago, you must get that message. If you are, because it's important. If you're born again, listen to me now, then you've been given a new nature. Peter calls it the divine nature, and you've been given the Holy Spirit. And guess what? The Holy Spirit and the new nature gives you the desire to be like Jesus, it gives you the desire to read your Bible. It gives you the desire. The Holy Spirit gives you the desire to pray. It gives you the desire to be with fellow believers, iron sharpening iron. It gives you the desire to die so that the Holy Spirit can live through you. It gives you the desire because you see the world out there and you realize, oh my goodness, they're perishing. If they die in that state, they're perishing. It gives you the desire to realize what your spiritual gift is so that you can pour into someone and build them up. And you know what? Here's the beauty. You know, the more you look like Jesus, you know what happens to you? Hope begins to really build. I'm talking about real hope. Hope begins to build within you. Hope, all of a sudden, this world does go strangely dim, as as the hymn says, and heaven becomes brighter and greater and more and more just appetizing to you. And then one day, the tent is struck down and you see the glory of God in the face of Jesus and you meet your hero, Jesus See, my hero used to be the purple people eaters. I did. I used to have Eller, Page, Larson. I did. Marshall, right there on my wall. Worshipped him. Stupid. My hero's Jesus. I pray your hero's Jesus. Lord. I really ask, Holy Spirit, that you just move now. And even a powerful, just speak, speak to people. And I ask, don't, don't harden your heart now. Allow the Holy Spirit to do his incredible work. Think about it. The greatest glory you can give the God of the universe is to look like his son. And it's within your grasp. It's within your grasp now. And it just starts with repentance. And receiving Jesus' incredible forgiveness, having his perfection placed upon you, being given a new nature then. He's doing it all. And he gives you the Holy Spirit. And then you just begin to follow what he's doing in you. And you can change the world just as Rachel Skye did for those who saw that movie, you can change the world around you. And I ask for this in your precious name. Amen.